0: In this week's episode, we welcome whiskey investment expert Mark Littler onto the podcast to talk about, wait for it, not drinking
1: your whiskey. I oh, know, I don't quite understand it either. Yeah, no, 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 not at all. And with the release of his whiskey bottle investment guide, he'll be giving us a crash course in the interesting and exciting world of bottle investment and collection. You can
0: find some more whiskey content, images, videos, and all kinds of goodies on our social media platforms at Whiskey and Things Podcast on Instagram and at Whiskey and Things on Facebook and
1: Twitter. And don't forget to give us a rating if you haven't done so already. Please do, it means a lot.
2: You're listening to Whiskey and Things with Nick Kent and Dave Giles.
1: Welcome to Whiskey and Things, the podcast. I'm Dave Giles. And I am Nick Kent. How are you, Dave Giles? Very rare of you to ask. I'm very well, thanks, Nick. How are you?
0: I asked. I'm very well,
1: thank you. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I ask excellent. all the time. What's the matter Look, with you, Nick? Um, I just, I'm, I, I think we should just crack on today because we've just done the interview and it's fascinating. I just think we should just get into it because it's, yeah, it's bloody you know, great. I, yeah, we've done any, great. We've
0: done the pleasantries. We Let's have done. On. There yes. we go. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: So yes. today's guest is Mark Littler, a whiskey investment specialist. He runs Mark Littler Limited. Uh, That's actually quite a mouthful. (laughs) anyways. Who who are uh, independent consultants and whiskey brokers. And some of our listeners might have watched some of Mark's videos on YouTube where he talks about the history of interesting bottles. Yeah, it he talks about a bit of investment on there as well. Um,
0: some of you might know him also from other whiskey influencers, that word, influencers, uh, like uh, Vin P.F. of No Nonsense Whiskey, who uh, reviewed some exciting bottles of whiskey that Mark has been sharing around. He does these round robins where he opens a nice bottle of whiskey and
1: he sends them around to people to try. They might I not think, be, you know. I think Jeff Whiskey's had some as well.
0: Yeah, there's been a bunch
1: of people. Uh, and um, new jam drinker, I think. New Dram drinker too. Yeah, yeah right, so yeah. you might
0: have uh, heard of Mark Little through that. Some of our other friends. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, we're still waiting on ours.
1: We we're we we're working it <laughs> out at the moment. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> anyway, Mark, Mark, this interview is pretty crazy, and uh, we both learned a lot. So let's uh, let's just crack on and roll the tape. Welcome,
0: Mark Littler, to the Whiskey and Things podcast. How are Welcome. you today?
2: Very good. Yes, good for good for the start of the week.
0: Yeah, Monday. Oh, it is a Monday. Yes, yeah, I'm losing is. all track.
2: Losing all track time.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, well, let's start by just give us a little bit of an idea of your whiskey origin story. That's how we like to start these shows. Um, what gave you the whiskey bug back in the beginning?
2: I think it's sort of one of the drums that I would say like most people start and it was a Glenfiddich, you know, I think it was a Glenfiddich 12 that... Oh me and my dad and and i think before him i used to sort of see my granddad drinking and then it's still now one of one of my favorite drams because you can drink that and it can be right back to being what 17 18 in my living room with my dad having a special special drink and it was just you know it just it just brought you know that's that's the one whiskey that got me into it in a way uh, and then I'm, I'm one of those people that's, you know, quite fortunate in a way to work with whiskey. And, and that really started, I was an auctioneer. So so I've got a bit of a strange background to some. So so like I'm antiques and whiskey, but I think they're very much the same sort of things as we'll probably sort of discuss later, like in terms of the way that they're collected. So I got into my employment, which is as, a, as an auctioneer by doing a degree and a master's in museum studies, essentially in fine art. Amazing. And, but that was looking at about, the, like the construct of value. So like if you've got a painting by uh, Picasso and a painting by your mum, why is there a difference in price? Because fundamentally they're the same thing. And, and it's looking at the social construct of that value. And we will get into this later, you know me and nick were chatting earlier and, th- and there's one bottle of black bowmore in particular which this sort of sentiment or sentiment sort of it, it works really well on so anyway i was auctioneering uh, i was an auctioneer for about 10 years uh, and i worked up at tenants up in north yorkshire and i set them up for wine and whiskey sale and that was about 2013 maybe and that's just so just sort of pre the whiskey boom so i set that whiskey sale for up for them probably did a couple of million pounds worth of sales And then I set up my business in 2016, and that was just just as the whiskey market was starting to explode. And we've kind of ridden the wave with it, really. Uh, And it's, you know, I'm now happily employed, self-employed, whatever, working with some of the most amazing bottles and casks that have ever been created. So it's a, yeah.
0: Wow. Nice. Well tell us a bit more about that then, Mark Littler Limited. Yeah. And what you guys do.
2: So I set up in two thousand and sixteen. So rather than setting up another auction house, because you know, another auction house is another auction house. And having worked as an auctioneer, the, the the problem is is like if a customer comes to your door, you have to say, sell it with us. You know, you're employed to get business in for that company. So you can't really start turning around and sort of saying, well, you should be working, you know, you should be sending this to Christie's and this to, you know, Antiquorum and places like that. So you couldn't really be honest with the customers in a way. You, you could be, you could be, you know, you could be honest within the capacity of your job, but like if you let zoom this out to Whiskey, like if you contact Whiskey Auctioneer, for instance, they're not going to say, oh God, yeah, you should be selling this with Bonhams. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> your right. job is to get this stuff in. So, so Mark Butler Limited was a way, it was like a, I take from my wife's industry she's a financial advisor you know if you inherit a large sum of money you see an advi- an independent advisor and they tell you how to sell it and that's what market limited does in essence we're, we're, we're brokers we're agents we help people sell and over the years it's sort of really snowballed and especially with the whiskey because like the more that the market's exploded the more different services that we offer so you know we can help people sell their bottles of whiskey and we can do it by a private sale, you know, like an immediate brokered sale. We can do it by auction. You know, we can say, help you get your collection to auction. And then we can put the bottles on our shop as well. So our shops was launched last year. Uh, we, we had that vertical of Macallan 18 year old that for, sold for a, uh, for a chap up in Scotland. I don't know if you're in the news, he's given a bottle of 18-year-old Macallan every year for his birthday. Oh.
0: Yeah. oh, is that what vertical means? That's one thing I was going to ask on. actually. You say, well, you use the term vertical in terms of a series yes. or a set and a, and a vertical. What exactly is a vertical?
2: So this is this is language borrowed from the wine industry. So a vertical is one distillery or chateau and then all subsequent vintages. So Macallan 78, 79, 80, 81, right. 82, 83. Now you get a horizontal as well, just to confuse things, but a horizontal might be all your first growth wines like Lafitte, Latour, uh, Mouton Rothschild, but all the same vintage. So but yeah, that 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 eighteen-year-old vertical that we saw. I mean, it was at uh, headlines everywhere. But you know, essentially, the problem with whiskey is that it's a drug. You know, let's let's you know, selling it without the right licenses, it's twenty thousand pound fine and six months in prison. You know, it's restricted. Now the retailers kind of have a monopoly on this industry, retailing whiskey, because if you've got a bottle of whiskey, you can either sell it at auction. Or, I mean, you can come to us and we can broker the sale, but there's no way to compete with the retailers because you can't put it on eBay because of your licensing laws. But our shop is now a way for, for people, it's like that intermediary step, the prices are higher than auction, but less than retail. So as a seller, you're going to get more than you would do getting, buying at auction. And as a buyer, you're saving significantly on over, over, over retail prices right but that's just the bottles <laughs> that's just the bottles so we do uh, 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 you know we help people invest in bottles you know we help people sell casks we've sold millions of pounds worth of casks for people who were investing in the 1990s and 2000s and also we help people buy casks as well
1: okay so do you work directly with distilleries as well could do you sell for distilleries or is that not a thing
2: no we don't sell for distilleries they 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 have their own sales programs, if that makes sense, right. with their own sales people. But I mean, we, you know, if, right? Okay, if you're looking for an investment, if we talk, because we're going to be talking about a, lot, about a lot about whiskey as an investment, with this sort of thing, like let's look at the money analogy. You've got 20 grand to spend. You go to your financial advisor and you say, "I want to buy stock in blue chip battery technology." And it's like, okay, when are you buying today? Now, now, now? It's like, "Well, hang on a minute." you would wait for the right opportunity to arise because people, when they say they're going to invest in whiskey, they think they're being sort of quite diverse, but actually it's an extremely risky area to be in. You know, we're not FCA regulated, you know, you could invest in Diageo well easier and with a lot more comfort than you could buying a cask or a bottle for many reasons. But it's, we tend to try and get people the advice because I think our whole remit and it's like everything that we do on the blog, on YouTube and stuff, it's just that, you know, we like educating people. I'd rather someone didn't buy a cask or a bottle but knew what they were getting themselves into than mm. just trying to sell. And and that's sort of like where our consultancy side, because we do consult for customers as well, comes in because there isn't many people giving like that. I don't want to say open and honest advice, but I think that's really what it is. Yeah, is. I'd rather tell you, absolutely no chance don't buy you know go go invest in something safer than than actually force you to buy some whiskey that we're selling
1: or perhaps drink it, right? Um, <laughs> now that's
2: dangerous.
0: I was going to ask you about that, because a lot of what you do maybe is convincing, well, a lot of people say that whiskey's for drinking, you know, and yeah. then a lot of your job might be either convincing them that it's not, or <laughs> being like, you know what? Yeah, this ain't worth it. Drink that one.
2: Yeah, and like, this comes back to our analogy with our antiques earlier. Okay, so you've just spent 20 grand on a Rolex Submariner. Have you spent that? because you're really fastidious about keeping the time like does it matter how accurately that rolex keeps time no no the reason why you bought that watch was because there's a status that it will imbue you and the timekeeping capacity of it is secondary because a rolex the self-winding if you don't keep it in a watch winder it'll stop when you need to readjust the date like you know your your, your phone watch will keep better time your your casio your 9.99 casio will keep better time And, and this is the sort of thing that we need to as a community as a whole we need to appreciate that whiskey isn't just a drink anymore and like we do like drinking whiskey but we're probably one of the only people in the industry that's sort of saying you know the industry themselves are pushing this investment angle on a lot of people without People really knowing, you know, and there's lots of commentators saying that whiskey is just for drinking and the investors are bad. Fine, okay. So let me get you an example here. So this is a bottle, I'll hide the cast number. This is a sample from a, an Aardbeg cask that we just sold from. It's a 1994 Aardbeg. And you can see this is how the sample comes direct from the distillery when you receive it. This was stored at Springbank. So it's got there, it just says Ardbeg, 1994, and it's got a duty sticker. Now, and it's just a standard tour round bottle. If whiskey is for drinking, that's how whiskey retailers and, and whiskey producers should be selling their whiskey. Like the label isn't relevant. But the fact is, is that like we we'll use Macallan as an example. How does an elite crystal decanter enhance the flavor of the whiskey? You know, how does like if you look at the concept series, for instance, on the promotional pages of the Macallan site, it barely even talks about the whiskey. You know, the decanters, the big fancy boxes on the folio series and stuff, does that enhance the whiskey? Of course it doesn't. Glenfiddich teaming up with an artist to design unique pairs of, you know, Jordan trainers, does that enhance the whiskey? No. You know, so while, yes, I agree, whiskey is for drinking and it's a shame for people not to enjoy it. I think the industry themselves are making products designed specifically for investors and collectors, especially with all these new limited editions, everything's... You know, got a reason to buy it or a new edge on it, and like a lot of these distilleries, the new distilleries, I won't mention any by name, but there's several that play on misleading dates, if that makes sense. No. So it's... they they talk about the year that a famous event happened somewhere in and around the distillery site, rather than the the, the year that it was focused, because they're trying to potentially enhance the perception. Of, of, of the brand in a okay. way you know the, his, the historic perception of the brand which is fine you know we're all here like I think we need to be fr- fr- front with this like we like if we're in the west we're pretty much all capitalists yeah Diageo are there beholden to shareholders do they make and sell whiskey because it's nice for people to drink or do they make whiskey and sell it because it makes them and their shareholders a lot of money you know
1: definitely because it's nice to drink clearly Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs>
2: but it's like, and how do they sell it? They sell it with decanters. They sell it with fancy packaging. And they, and they hook us in on all these different ways. And I think it's naive. Whiskey stones. Yeah. It, it's naive nowadays to think that whiskey is made simply for drinking. Because I think a lot of the producers make these whiskies to not necessarily be consumed and it's like with these new distilleries they've got to sell their whiskey so they've got to try and make themselves more uh, uh, appealing which is fine you know you can't fake history and that's that's the sort of one thing that a lot of these why some of these old distilleries do so well you know mccallan is 1824 you know look at it's 1828 you know these these distilleries and seeped in history and you know that appeals especially to a lot of our asian clients they really like that historic connection to a place
1: even though nothing that they're drinking is from those years, exactly. Which yeah, is crazy, and, it, isn't it? and it's yeah. But I understand it. I do understand it to an extent, f- for sure. But it's it's about branding, isn't it? And, and, and you know, Nick and I have had these conversations so many times recently. Ultimately, branding is uh, is a wonderful thing, I suppose, in terms of making money, right? Look, and and right, find, it, finding your audience, etc.
2: Whiskey magazine. Issue 13, I've got it here for you. Page 82, you've got the ultimate Macallan tasting here. So you've got the Macallan 1926 60-year-old. So this is the whiskey that's in the one and a half million pound bottle of whiskey. Right. Michael Jackson, the whiskey reviewer, you know, very famous whiskey reviewer before he died, scored at eight. David Robertson, the ex-master the distiller of, uh, of Macallan, and the, and the current master distiller when this article was written, nine and a half. So eight and nine and a half. Interestingly enough they both score the Macallan replica 1874 better than that 1926, (laughs) you know, nine and a half and nine, which ironically the replica series and the inspiration series was based on fakes that the distillery had bought. So you end up with a whiskey that's better than the one and a half million pound bottle of whiskey rated higher, also rated lower than whiskey that was based on fake Macallan whiskey from the 19th century. And like what you've said about branding is really important because this is a key thing. Like, And a point that we've sort of made a few times is that quality, no one gives a crap about quality. You know, it it, it does matter at a certain end of the market when you're consuming whiskey, no one wants to drink bad whiskey, but here's an instance, for example. And again, I know I'm showing a lot of things to the, to the video here, but we'll, we'll describe them. So that's a Macallan private eye miniature.
0: Yeah.
2: And that's the rest of the sample of the Macallan private eye because Macallan private eye is one of the first bottles I ever sold. But, McCallum Private Ayer auction, you know, recently 5,000, 5,200 pounds, zero tasting notes anywhere whatsoever online you know Serge hadn't done it there's nothing on whiskey Fun. there was nothing even on whiskey base really so we we bought this miniature and we paid Angus Angus McRails uh from uh whiskey fun and he's also a decadent drinks and the whiskey mm-hmm. sponge etc to do a, a whiskey fun tasting essentially or giving it a 100 point rating 87 you know so it's all right whiskey I think <laughs> at the time that was like uh the same as like a 90 pound bottle of linkwood but the thing is. The point getting this back to branding is the value of private eye has less to do with whiskey than it has to do with branding whereas with wine if you look at this in a different way like when a, when a critic like robert parker the wine advocate jancis robertson gives a wine 100 points the price instantly jumps up in value because the price is directly correlating to the quality of the product but with whiskey again i'm sure nick will mention this one about the black bell more later quality has no difference, makes no relevance in, in you know, it makes no difference to the price. It's just branding. And I think in the whiskey world, especially branding is, is really, really taking over.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. So for example, I mean, this isn't necessarily talking about investment things, but we've definitely talked about the status symbol involved with high end whiskeys. For example, Johnny Walker Blue, in my opinion, is a okay whiskey, but not a 200 pound bottle of whiskey. But because of how they brand it and how they've marketed it, they, they sell loads of it. Yes, um, And it's interesting. I know that's not so much of an investment thing. Some of the, there's probably some rare Johnny Walker blue, I'm sure, but that side of it is so important and people are so fickle in terms of buying stuff like that but i get it if it's an investment i don't what well, I, I agree with what you said if you're buying it to drink i don't get it i don't uh, i think you're just getting suckered if it but sure yeah. if it's an investment because you want to have a status of oh look i've got this 60 year old bottle of macallan from whatever uh, and i'm the only one who's got a bottle and it cost me a yeah. million and a half you're the kind of person that wants to show off and have that kind of thing fine be that yeah. person uh, but you know and i doubt they're ever going to drink it fine a lot of people see it as artwork as well i've I've, I've seen
0: grand design episodes where a guy had a motorbike on the wall like a Ducati on the wall as a piece of art that's not fulfilling its purpose if you're looking at motorbikes it's meant to get you from a to b but for him it was a piece of artwork it's the same for a lot of these whiskey bottles it's a piece of art and a status symbol to have on their wall or and and it's
2: that collecting habit it's the nature of collectors in a way like people collect stamps, they collect books, they collect jewelry, they collect anything. And and I think a lot of people collect whiskey. And this is like on, on our YouTube channel, we sort of talk about the concept of the whiskey having one value and the bottle having another value. So the whiskey can be crap, but the bottle have a fantastic value because, you know, it's all to do with that whole thing. And it's like, if you're collecting and you're filling gaps and things, and this is why a lot of distilleries now are releasing sort of like series, like the Bimba, Spirit of the Underground. You know, that was the most recent one I can sort of recall of being like a really cool concept you know really nice artwork really good concept that gels together you, you know and it's part of a set it's part of a collection and we collect these things we habits you know it's habitual mm. sort of thing it's
1: i defy anyone to have enough room to have a bottle for every station of the underground though when they eventually have done the whole of the underground if anyone has got every single bottle well it will be worth a fortune but where do you store that you're gonna have like that's crazy that's crazy yeah.
2: It's like uh. the folio series, so people started going crazy when they announced that they're going to do twenty-four folio releases. They're massive; they're absolutely huge. Like by the time you're in the outer cardboard box and everything protected with you, literally need room of your house to store them all. And it's you know one of the benefits of like whiskey, and the same with like diamonds and watches. It's portable wealth. You know, like got some bottles over here. They you know, got like a, a 19, 19, 50 year fifty-year-old Springbank, just shy of forty k. But that's 40k in one bottle you know that you can put on your shelf it's, if you if you're a very wealthy person it fits easy it's portable wealth it's simple it's straightforward Buy another car or uh, you know it, it's something else to store and, and, and typically you'll find that the smaller the, the work you know the smaller the item the more appealing it is to high net worth individuals so you look at cars for instance you know if you've got 10 million pounds to spend you could buy quite a few extremely good cars for that caliber then you've got to garage them then you've got to store them whatever you buy a painting, it's one painting on the wall in one of your houses, You're done. You know, you're utilising that well.
1: Right. I've got another question here, which shows the practical side of my brain. Insurance. A bottle of Easy. whiskey worth 40 grand is yes. clearly very breakable. So the, yes. the premiums for that have got to be higher than, say, a piece of art which is worth 40 grand. no. No.
2: no. No, no. That's nuts. So I'm not. Uh, no, so I'm not endorsed by this company or anywhere. I'm not getting a, a, an affiliate thing. But there's a company called Bruce Stevenson up in Scotland, and they'll give you a hundred thousand pounds worth of cover, all risks for your whiskey collection, for three hundred and fifty-two pounds
1: per year, or one-off fee.
2: Per year, so right, per okay. year. So, so, but like, if you imagine, if you're trying to insure a hundred thousand pound car or a hundred thousand pound artwork, it's a lot more expensive. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Interesting.
2: You're listening to Whiskey and Things.
1: Should we move on to talking a little bit about cask investment? I think uh, we've briefly mentioned it. Now, Nick and I have talked about this with a couple of our guests. And uh, the first time we ever spoke about this, we had no idea what we were on about. The second time, we'd read a little bit more and uh, we'd seen some uh, publications such as Cask and Skill magazine and Forbes and Whiskey magazine, which had put out quite extensive things about the pitfalls of this and you've already mentioned that there are a couple of these kind of things so obviously you've said it's unregulated already but what are your views on the current state of that side of whisky investment and certain practices that have been going on for example
2: so I think the first thing to, to address is like, is cask investment bad for the industry no I don't think it is if it's done properly which we'll talk about next I think it's very good you know if you look at all the independent Macallan if you look at all the independently bottled Springbank and Bruichladdies. Mm errands at the moment you know there's some amazing ben nevis 96 is coming out you know that's all coming about because of the private investment schemes that these companies ran in the 1990s and 2000s you know the problem is nowadays is that and, and you know the reason why i can talk with any sense of authority about cask investment is that we've helped hundreds and hundreds of people exit their cask investments so one of the biggest sizes of the business is helping people exit their cash investments. So this is people who bought cash in the 1990s and 2000s and are now looking to sell. That's what we do. That's what we specialize in. And we've seen what's gone wrong. And in many occasions, the problems have happened and occurred when the company did not give the individual a delivery order. And this is what we've we've been, you know, I think some of our YouTube videos on this go back to 2019. I think, you know, we've been talking about delivery orders for a very long time. And essentially The biggest problem with the cask investment world now is that people aren't getting ownership of their casks. They're getting title to them. And there's technically nothing stopping that. The only thing stopping that is having a warehouse that will open up a private account. And if you don't have a warehouse that will open up your private account for your customer, then in my opinion, you shouldn't be selling them a cask. Because if you can only pass title, like your rights instead of ownership, that's the big thing. And like, it's not just sort of me, you know, we started all of this and then Blair Bowman amazingly got the press to pick it up in a big way with that cask and still magazine article. We were quoted in the Forbes one. And this is the odd thing, like we're getting the daily mail talking about the dangers of cask investment nowadays. And yet we're not getting anything from higher powers in terms of like SWA or HMRC, you know, the Scotch whiskey association guidance says page three or something of their current advice, get a delivery order. But what they actually sort of saying there is get confirmation from the warehouse that the cask is in your name. Because the biggest problem that people face with cask investment if they don't get this delivery order, it's not now, it might not be in five years time, but what happens if HMRC clamps down on these companies that are using one wauger registration and, and essentially a WAUGA you may have heard of it. Your listeners may have heard of it. It, it is for registered keepers of goods, the duty suspended goods. The, the legislation covering that is Excise Notice 196, specifically Section 5.2 is what we're referring to here. And it says if you're if you're not a revenue trader, if you're not a business, then you don't need a Wauger. So, legislatively, you don't need a Wauger to own a cask. So, so, there's no reason why these companies can't get you a delivery order. What a lot of these companies are doing, though, is using their one wowger certificate and a a waga is basically to uh so hmrc can keep track of who's owning all these duty suspended goods because obviously there's a lot of duty and vat to pay so if you imagine like a diagram you've got a big central sun of of hmrc and you might have a hundred lines going off it to a hundred smaller planets so hmrc knows who owns these goods but the problem is is that some of these smaller companies some of these smaller planets we say And then using that one license to store casks for three, four, five hundred people, maybe a thousand people. It just makes a mockery of the system, in my opinion, because HMRC can't see who's responsible for those goods. Because if you're telling your customers that you've got rights to it and it's held by you, then they're responsible. But if HMRC come knocking, it's that company. And if HMRC decide to clamp down on this side of things, then all of these people have been buying casks without getting a delivery order. They may, might get a letter to say, yeah, you need to find a warehouse or will store your casts in 90 days or it, the goods are going to be forfeited. And that is the problem. You know, no delivery order equals no ownership. It's kind of like renting a car instead of buying one. It, 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 they're completely different things.
0: Yeah. I was uh, I was thinking about it as in like, you know, in Fast and Furious where they race for pink slips, you know, they race for yeah. the ownership of the car. The delivery order for me is the pink slip. How I see exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you
2: yeah, your V5. It's like when you buy a house, you wouldn't just buy a house and walk into it. You'd get the land, you'd get the transfer updated by the land registry. And it's the same with the cask. And, and the real the, the risk of fraud here, I think there's two sides of fraud in the cask investment market at the moment. The first side of the fraud are companies deliberately misleading customers as to whether or not they have owned the cask or just rights to it, or misleading them about the legislation. You know, they're saying you need a Wauger to own this. But clearly you don't. I think that possibly constitutes fraud. But then the other side of it is that, you know, if you're buying a cask from a company and you're not getting a delivery order, how do you know that cask exists? How do you know that's not being sold 30 times over?
0: Yeah. Another thing as mm. well, should there be regulation, one, in general, and also in terms of advertising, a possible like returns of the old 582% thing? Yeah. It's so, very misleading, isn't it? Because they're talking, especially with cask investment, when that was from a, a bottle, for example.
2: Yes. Two things there. Does it need regulation? We're heavily regulated already. You know what I mean? The, the problem is, is that people are abusing the regulations as they stand. You know, I've seen people trying to explain away the fact that a certificate was due by mi- by misinterpreting deliberately the Scotch Whiskey Association's current guidance, because they say, Traditionally, you know—traditionally, ownership was transferred with a delivery order. Nowadays, a certificate may suffice, which is correct if it's the warehouse that's issuing a certificate to do the transfer. Now, don't get me wrong. There's no legislative structure around the delivery order. If a warehouse keeper who's, who's responsible for the warehouse says that, right, Nick, you've bought this cask, you've got to meet me on the third Sunday after a full moon and kiss me on the elbow and I'll transfer the ownership... That's it. You know what I mean? The warehouse keeper's gospel. So if you're a distillery, for instance, so a lot of these modern cask ownerships by the distilleries, you know, they will give you a certificate, which is perfect because they own the warehouse and they can update their records in their warehouse. But the warehouse... You know, if you're buying from a third party, you still need that feedback from the warehouse that it's been transferred. So I think there's an abuse of the already regulated market as it is. And when it comes back down to that 500 odd percent returns, again, it's just, again, it's another instance of fraud. That's people using the data from the Knight Frank Index, which uses Rare Whiskey 101's data about old and rare bottles like So, they're trying to compare the returns on old and rare bottles of whiskey to casks, which is grossly misleading. It's probably quite fraudulent. And again, it comes down to the fact that, yeah, that should be regulated. But come on, like, you know, you've got Forbes, Cask and Store magazine, Whiskey magazine, The Daily Mail. Uh, I think it's been in The Sunday Times. It's been in The Sunday Mail. It's been in so many other... Like, This Is Money did an article on it. And yeah, whiskey and things. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Whiskey and things, importantly. (laughs) But. No, nope. like, where's where's that higher voices? It's coming down to people like me and Blair Bowman to really sort of champion this. And we're doing this because, like, you know, as I said all along, my, my key thing here with this business is to educate. And it's, I, I just think there should be sort of some voices from higher up that sort of give feedback onto this.
1: Or a prosecution.
2: There's been loads of them, though. There's been loads oh, right. Like, in the 1990s, like Cavendish Wines, they were shut down, serious fraud office. They were selling casks of Macallan for... Three thousand pounds, which at the time were worth seven fifty on the market. You know, they were shut down for fraud. Loads of people didn't get a delivery order, so they went sort of under. There's been a, there's been so much, but this is it. And like, this is why I feel like I'm banging my head on a wall sometimes because all the same tactics that we used in the 1990s and 2000s I mean, that were shut yeah. down by the Serious Fraud Office were back again. You know what I mean? And like, I'm talking about cask investment. But I can help people buy a cask. So people might take my opinion as like, I'm just trying to take another position to enhance my sales. And it's not. It's like we made our whiskey cask purchasing model on the Scotch Whiskey Association regulations and worked forward from that, not how we can get away with it and move forward from that.
1: Yeah. So, and to, (laughs) it's such a weird thing, isn't it? Because we start, you, you mentioned earlier about capitalism and how we we are all capitalists in this country essentially and that's 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 true but it's having a moral compass isn't it <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> so, so it's you know how can i screw people over versus how can i help someone make some money legitimately and, and- I can make some money in the process as well, and and yeah. and and you shouldn't have to screw someone over in order to make money. You know, you, no. everyone can be a winner, right?
2: Exactly, and that's the thing. And it's like casks can be a fantastic investment. And again, like if you look at our reviews on Google, we've got hundreds of five star reviews. We've we've got the experience at the real important end of helping people exit their investments. So we know it's worked for them, and we know how it's worked, and we know why it's worked. And that's why we have sort of like the expertise that we do. But to blanket around like the, like people sort of trying to sell a new make casks and stuff it's like you know you're going to be waiting at least 18 years you know there isn't a magic button that says oh it gets to eight years old it's gone up in value or 10 years old no like it's like we've got a cask calculator on our website that you can click into and it's like uh, uh, my numbers are a bit hazy here but if you had a hogshead let's say two and a half thousand pounds i think your bottle price will come out at 36 pounds a bottle if you double the price of that cask to five thousand pounds your bottle price is now 43 and if you make the cask worth zero, I think it's like 28 because the reality of it is, is that in any bottle of whiskey, the most of the cost is the VAT and the duty. Mm-hmm. So if you stick your cask into our cask calculator, even at like two and a half grand, you've got to get to like 38, 43 pounds as a minimum viable product for a wholesaler. So what age is that going to be? It's probably going to be at least 12 years old because, you know, look on Diageo, they're, they're, uh accelerator program, I think it's, oh, I can't remember the name of it. It's on the cask calculator, but they say as a retailer or a wholesale, you need to leave in a 50 to 60% margin. So that 40 pound a bottle is now 60 pounds before you break an even. So if you're buying a cask at zero, you need to be looking at when would that whiskey be able to be sold at retail for 60 pounds a bottle. And of course, one of the biggest tricks of the book with the whiskey investment is when they sort of give you a cask and they say, Oh yeah, it's 3000 pounds. And there's 250 bottles in there. It's, what? Well, you know, it's, what's that, three and a half thousand pounds. So I'm going to do this on a calculator because I will get this wrong. Uh, and there's 350 bottles in there. It's 10 pound a bottle. It's an easy one, that. I couldn't believe i have done it. Been a long day. It's not a tenner a bottle because you've got a wide duty. You've got a wide vat. You've got everything else in there. And, and it's just sort of that, that sort of like slight manipulation there again.
1: You're listening to Whiskey and Things. And to help people out, you've recently put out the whiskey bottle investment guide. Is that right? Oh, I know it's not necessarily about casks, but...
2: So yeah, so a couple of years ago, we released our whiskey cask investment guide, which is like no nonsense, straight talking cask investment. And then this is what we've just done with the bottles because, you know, it it took us the best part six months to make. It's like 24,000 words. It's 82 pages long and it's a free download. So if you head to our website...
0: It's a return ferry to Belfast in terms of reading. That's when I did it this weekend. It's a good read. I Enjoyed it. Uh, I understood more than I thought I was going to, to be honest. Um, but there's some really cool stuff. And yeah, please uh, explain, kind of uh, give us an outline on what's in it and what people can expect. I
2: mean, I think one of the, the, the key sort of things with, with whiskey investment is that data without context is dangerous. So the analogy that we sort of say is like a hundred percent of people who drink Scotch whisky die. You know that is a fact, and it's not a, it's not a figure that the Scotch industry goes around telling. You need to check your figures on that one. Okay. <laughs> but it's true; it's a hundred percent true. But there's a difference between correlation and causation. So everybody who drinks, so everybody's going to die. That's that's a fact. And then therefore, everybody who drinks whisky will die. But the thing is, you've got the life experience to know that it's probably not the Scotch whiskey that's killed you. There's probably lots of other contributing factors that led to that person's death. Okay. They were hit by a car, but they still drank whiskey. You you know what I mean? And, And that's the same with whiskey investment, as you've alluded to already with the numbers, you know, just because the numbers look great, you've got to have an understanding of the market and what's around those numbers in order to appreciate whether it's a good investment or not. So that's why we launched the bottle investment guide to try and add that context and understanding. Because, but let's be frank, a lot of people like whiskey as an investment. A lot of people like collecting whiskey. But where's, where, like, who's, who's writing about it? Who's doing the guidance? You've got Emmanuel Dron's book, which is phenomenally good, but it's about £400 and it doesn't really educate you on the market. We, we sort of try to fill that gap in the in the education there in the learning and understanding of how the market's developed from the 80s and 90s to 2000s. And it also kind of gives you a toolkit about how and what to collect really as well. Hmm. So are these guides free? So yeah, so that, that big investment guide there, that's a free download. You can buy it on Amazon. I think it's about £1.30 or you can download it free of charge on our website. And then we've also, alongside that, we've just started our whiskey investment reports. So the, these aren't, So you've got the big guide, 80 odd pages, and then we've got the reports, which are like paid for downloads. So we've done one on the private eye and we've done one on the folio series. And this is really putting the data that's available out there into context. And I think that's the important thing because a lot of people are buying these folio series, for instance, and like, you know, the the average price of folio one across the first half of 2021 was 7,750, I think, you know, That's nearly two and a half grand more than the average price of the Macallan 1957 25-year-old anniversary milk released in 1983. And it's like, you come back to these, what's what's the fundamental aspect that's propping up this value? Okay, 1957, early vintage, 25-year-old, high-age statement released in 1983. Okay, very scarce, very few on the market. Understandable. Folio One. What's propping up the market there? It's a six-year-old, no age statement whiskey released for 199 pounds, and it's growing at a rate of not, you know, many thousands of percent of growth since its original release price. And, and that's the danger here. There's a lot of modern whiskey investment, the flipping side of the market, which is based, in my opinion, a lot on the greater fool theory. You know, people are buying these because they're seeing the values going up, and there's a greater fool out there that's prepared to buy it. And Mm. I think if you got in early doors with the folios, happy days, but when you consider that the folio one is more expensive than like the private eye, the royal marriage, you know, know, the 25 year old anniversary months, you've got to think, well, hang on, like there's an unbalance here, like what's driving this growth? Why are people paying so much for it? And that's what the reports, the 25 pounds each, there's a hundred percent money back guarantee on them. So if you don't like them, you get a full refund. And it's just to try and help people, because I think a lot of people are jumping in and they're going to be burnt because they don't have that understanding.
1: Yeah, this is all blowing my mind a little bit. Yeah, it's um, it's a good guide. I mean, it's a world
0: I don't really know much about, but I understood everything and it gave me a good background, actually, on a lot of whiskey history I didn't know, you know, about why Macallans kind of got in there, uh, like, while well, they are always wanted to be collected, because there's a certain... Um, You might want to explain it better than me, like the whiskey lock, when there was a lot of whiskey around, they were still making a load. So there's still a lot to be collected out there. Explain that a bit better than I probably just have, if you could.
2: So I think McAllen, so McAllen are really the first one. So Glenfiddich, so we've got to remember, like until at least the 1980s, and, and still now really, blended whiskey is still the biggest sector of the market. But until the 1980s, it was blended whiskey pretty much the whole way. It wasn't until 1963 that the first single malt whiskey that was advertised in England, you know, that was Glenfiddich. You know, the, the, the and the Callan really was sort of pioneering in a way that they, you know, the anniversary of the 25 year age, you know, 25 year age statement whiskey, they were started in 1983, I think it was. And they created this series of whiskeys, 83, 84, you know what I mean? Every year they would release a new one. Again, that hook, you've got to collect it, right? I want one from every year. And Macallan, they had the stocks, you know, they had the they had the reserves to do that. And that's the point when most of the distilleries were just about releasing a core age statement for the mass market. But Macallan sort of really, their whiskey appeals to a lot of people that Sherry Oak influence is very... Beautiful. You know what I mean? It makes this great whiskey. But a lot of people forget, like, I think it was until 2018, a single bottle of whiskey hadn't sold for more than £100,000 at auction. And now it's like 1.5 million. You yeah. know?
0: You said in the guide that the kind of peak of the. Uh... Well, was 2018 in terms of sales in the industry? Do you think that's going to come yeah. back up again, or is it just going to kind of plateau now?
2: Yeah, we're back at it. I think this year is going to be another peak. You know, when you look at the data and you look at the graphs. So, if you look like again, in in, in if you in our reports, you'll see the graphs as the data for all these bottles. So, like if you look at Private Eye, it kind of rides the wave up to 2018 then dips, and then it's sort of risen again. And, you know, that's an interesting pattern that can replicate itself across a lot of different bottlings. So I think we're going for another peak. But again, that growth has sort of come slowly. You know, Private Eye, it's five grand now, but it's taken 25 years to get there, if that makes sense. Folios have got more than that in less than six years.
1: Mm, that's crazy.
2: And I think one of the things that highlight the biggest unbalances of the market is one of the bottles that we talk about in the guide, and it's the, the Black Bowmore 3rd edition.
0: Yes. Interesting.
2: Black Beaumore third edition. You can buy it at auction for about eleven grand. Now, despite the fact that Black Beaumore said the final edition was the third edition and then released a the fourth edition and then a fifth edition, and then <laughs> it then they released like a collaboration with Aston Martin, the D B five edition. Now, in the same month that the third edition sold for eleven thousand pounds, the D B five edition sold for eighty-one thousand pounds. And it's a rebottling of that third edition so it's the same whiskey making 70,000 pounds difference in price and that's not the biggest absurdity the biggest absurdity is the 1919 19, 50 year old we've got a video of it on our youtube channel and we've got one on up for sale at the moment i think it's about 38,000 yes yeah, a lot of money 38 grand but it's 1919 and it's a 50 year old springbank rebottled that a few years after they made that original bottling release and one of those sold again. I think it was two thousand and eighteen. It was at Sotheby's for two hundred and sixty-six thousand pounds. So you're looking at what? You're looking at a two hundred and twenty-five, two hundred and twenty-eight thousand pounds difference in price for the same whiskey in two different bottles. It's a pretty bottle,
0: though. If, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. No, I see your. <laughs> like, no, you comes
2: back to the point. It's whiskey for drinking. Well, if you're going to drink it, what's it worth? 38 grand or 266?
1: Yeah. yeah. And is the empty bottle worth 226? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. But with that, though, like re-
0: releasing whiskeys after they said it was going to be the final edition, this is the final one, and then a few years later coming out with another edition, it's a bit of a, I don't want to say con, but it's a bit misleading. It is a con? Um, well, it's like, I've made the analogy earlier on where... um it's like a band announcing a farewell tour. And then doing a the farewell, tickets. farewell
1: tour. And then, no, they're going
0: for like 10 <laughs> years more, you know. Yeah. It's a bit like that.
2: Yeah, it's like we've got one whiskey, let's see what we can do. Oh, let's do it another edition. And and this is what I feel like a lot of modern distillery, or sorry, not modern distillery, a lot of modern distillery releases are like at the moment. It's like, oh, we've got a single cask X, Y, and Z. Oh, great. Well, you did one of them two weeks ago. Like, yeah. ooh, give, give yeah. me something new. You know what I mean? It's
0: but those original Beaumores, the one, two, and three, weren't they like 60 quid, 80 quid, and 100 pounds or something when they Pretty first- Pretty much between got 18 and
2: 100 pounds, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And like Private Iris, 36 pounds. The 25-year-old anniversary vault was leased at 25 pounds for the 25-year-old and 50 pounds for the 50 year 50-year-old. 50-year-old. Interestingly, and because I'm really anal and like this sort of stuff, last week uh, Gordon and McPhail sold the world's oldest whiskey for uh, for £140,000 at Sotheby's. It was the 80-year-old generation's Glenlivet. Their RRP on that bottle is 80 grand for an 80-year-old whiskey but then like sort of unpacking this a little bit further you know one of the bottles on our shop at the moment it's a Gordon McPhail Glenlivet Book of Kells 50 year old and that's priced at just over four grand look at the comparisons between that 80 year old okay both bottled by Gordon McPhail yep it's both from the 1940 vintage yep it's both in a nice decanter yep okay one of them's like 30 years older and like that's not to be taken lightly that that 80 year old age statement is phenomenal but how can there be sort of like 100 100, you know 136 grand discrepancy a 50 year old glenn livet from 1940 has got to be worth more than four grand and this is what like people looking at whiskey investment need to sort of do and this is what our reports are aiming to do you know you can make a profit by buying something and flipping it for a profit but that's sort of like cheap investment it's not clever in a way it's it's effective but it's not necessarily using much market insight if you look at people who trade equities for instance they look at companies and they look at them in great deal and they see what's undervalued in the market and things like that GNM bottling are massively undervalued in my opinion same with that Springbank 1919 the pear shaped one you know it's looking for these things and that's what we do and that's what we you know we talk about on YouTube a fair bit as well and it's it's yeah I I like it anyway so
1: it's quite fascinating to be honest isn't it yeah Hey, Nick, I thought of uh, another music analogy for you. Oh, yeah. yeah right, no. So you know, you know how we have the rebottlings which were worth more? Yeah. Okay, so it's like, if you look at the ticket price of the last time Queen performed with Freddie Mercury...
0: Like 14 pounds, or yeah.
1: like the original. Well, yeah. yeah. And now look at what Queen go out for with Adam Lambert as a singer, who's not Freddie Mercury and has never been on any decent Queen record, uh, <laughs> uh, as good as he is. And uh, and look at the inflation rate and realize that they're overselling their pro- current product by a long way. Right. Yeah. There you go. You're that's welcome. Good analogy. That
2: 1926 uh, 60 year old, you know, the, the, the world record bottle of whiskey, the McAllen 1.5 million, that's a You know what yeah. I mean? There is there are several it, it's so this is what I mean like about like the industry, you know, people giving some investors and collectors a hard time. But the reality of it is they're only consuming products that are being designed specifically for them to collect and invest in. You know what I mean? And and like, do they bring good to the industry? Yes, I think they do. You know what I mean? Like most distilleries now sell out their releases automatically, like that bimba spirit of the underground. It was well oversubscribed. It was like and, and go back sort of five years ago, these releases were just sort of trundling along and Yes, these collectors and investors, their, their intentions might not be so, so perfect or pure in terms of they're going to drink the whiskey and consume it. But I think it's a gateway drug. They come in with the gateway drug of earning money off flipping some whiskey. But then they come into the sector and they start, ah, actually, I quite like whiskey. I'm not going to drink this one, but I'm going to go and buy like a 12 year old. And then mm-hmm. they get into it and they start listening to podcasts and they start reading more magazines and they start watching more YouTube channels. And, you know, whiskey is big business. You know, these why does Bentley and Macallan need to collaborate? Of course they don't, you know, Bentley aren't going to enhance the flavor of any whiskey, but it's a nice brand (laughs) association, bringing their clients to each other. It's massive money, come on, you know. And I think it's a good thing if it's done right. Same with cask purchasing or cask investment, whatever you want to call it. One of the best opportunities of your life will be tasting whiskey from one cask as it matures and seeing how that wood is affecting the influence of that whiskey. You know, it's a fascinating experience to see.
1: Yeah. So maybe, yeah, uh, if I had money, I'd love to buy a cask. I'm not going to lie. I think it would be a lot of fun. Uh, and then to also have have something to bottle in, in in so many years. I think that whole experience would be wonderful, but don't have the money. Yeah. One thing I thought was quite fun, actually, one thing in the guide was um,
0: the websites you can use to kind of help your experience and stuff. And there was a thing on that you mentioned that Whiskey Hunter, where they have a collection yes. tracker, yeah. where you can put your collection in and then it basically shows you how it's going up and down, you know, in yes, value yeah. and stuff. That sounds like a fun part. What I want to take out of this is it's another part of whiskey being fun. Some people want to drink it and have fun. Some people see it as a bottle and as an investment. But it needs to be fun at the end of the day. And it's little things like that, like seeing the investment go up. Of course, it's going to go down at some yeah. point as well. But, you know.
2: And if you can buy two bottles, and like what we're, you know, like, we, like, let, let's be sure, like, we do drink whiskey here, you know, like one of our things on YouTube, we do like these round robin bottles where yes. essentially I, I do an investment talk about the bottle. You know, we had a 12 year old Yamazaki from the 1980s, which you can pick up for like two or 300 pounds at auction. But we send it around to all your reviewers and all your creators and influencers, whatever you want to call them. You know, we've done it with an edition six, uh, we've got one of the bimba spirit of the undergrounds going around and we've got a load more sort of planned to go. We've got a Middleton uh, very rare twenty twenty one ready to sort of go out as well. Yeah, we we'll look forward but to that But it's like list, guys, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but it's like it's a way for us all to sort of share a communal drama because like these festivals haven't been the same as what they were, and it's like, you know, it's all well and good talking about whiskey of investment but at the end of the day we all like with drinking you know drinking it but like me and Nick were talking earlier and it's like I can I like whiskey yeah can I describe it in 400 no of course I can't I, like I'm kind of like the car salesman not the mechanic you know the mechanic <laughs> can tell you <laughs> what's wrong with the car and rip it apart and like you know use that analogy with the nose they can tell you the terroir this side and the other I'm kind of like the sales guy in a way, and they're all about the product and I fully understand the market. The only part of me that isn't a car salesman is sort of like the salesman aspect because we just like teaching people, you know, it's that education. Because yeah. the thing is, if, if a product is good enough or a proposition is good enough, it should sell itself. It doesn't need a salesperson. The
1: right. So let's, uh, let's make this very real now. So we've talked about um, the fact that me and Nick have no money, but we do have. Whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, whiskey. you said about buying two bottles earlier, and we've mentioned Bimba a few times. It, for those of people who don't understand why Bimba stuff goes for value, it's because they're a small distillery and they've get they got great reviews and it's just blowing up as a result and they don't release too much because it's only small, so on and so forth. Now, we are part of the Bimba Club and we got two bottles. We got a bottle each of the Bimba Club first edition. We opened one and shared it, and we have one which isn't isn't going to be opened yet. Is that going up? Is that worth anything, or is that kind of thing not worth much because it's a little bit niche?
2: So, an interesting thing here, like you look at the value of the whiskey and your value of your bottle. So that Bimber of the Spirit, of the Underground, it was one hundred and twenty-five quid. Like I've tasted it; it's quite nice. A few other people, Vinet Whiskey, uh, No Nonsense Whiskey, Phil uh, Whiskey Wednesday's done it, uh, Etienne at the has done it. It's all right; it, it's nice whiskey. Is it worth one hundred and twenty-five quid? might be pushing it a bit might be worth sort of 1700 quid somewhere in that region but then you see it going at auction for five eight hundred quid it, it's not five eight hundred quid whiskey the, once that price jumps and it's not and it doesn't bear any correlation to its quality the only thing you really can do with it is is sort of sell it you know and like because it's like that private eye is it good whiskey yes all right yeah but it's not brilliant it's not fantastic and perfect and you've got to try this if that makes sense it'll be something nice to enjoy but it's not worth five and a half grand to drink if that makes sense so with that bottle stick it aside leave it for five years and see what happens and i think bimba are one of those distilleries where you know Let's face it; they're bloody good at marketing. They're really good at marketing. My biggest issue, if you want to call it that, with English whiskey is the lack of regulation. You can import Scotch whiskey and label it as English whiskey. Didn't know that. And and I think as as long as that is in place, the the industry, you know, the English whiskey market will suffer. You know what I mean? It's you know you could bring in whiskey from anywhere. It doesn't have to be distilled and bottled in England like Scotch has to be distilled, matured, and bottled in Scotland. So I think there's a bit of a something to clear up there. And I think a lot of people as well, not a lot of people, I think certain people come to whiskey investing in the same way they do sort of like with this 2021 mentality of like Bitcoin and stuff. And it's like, I've got to make immediate gains. And it's like, if you look at the bottles that have performed the best over time, slow and steady growth, you know, slow and steady growth, proven year on year, like hundreds of percent growth each year isn't sustainable. And and the reality of it is, and it's the same with cask investment and bottom investment, if the returns were guaranteed, if the returns could be quantified in any meaningful way, you would have pension funds, you would have hedge funds, you would have alternative asset funds, you would have venture capital all coming in and and buying this on a wholesale thing, especially with the casks. Why is a company selling you a cask saying it's an best thing? It's because they don't have the data to go to a hedge fund or pension fund and say, buy a thousand casks at a time because whiskey is made in monumental volumes and a single cask is is nothing. And that's the other one of the other biggest sort of cons is that when people say, oh, the distilleries will buy it back. No, they won't. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I've never experienced a distillery buying back a cask at a good market price, if that makes sense. so buy it back at a price, but not at a good price. You know, VAT, duty come into play.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. With this though, if you talked about having uh, like collection sets in the in the guide and stuff. We've, in terms of collecting the ne- this year's one and then the next year's one, would the set be worth a lot more? And if so, if it had the same bottle number, is that important as well?
2: I wouldn't say so, no. I think the spirit like so with Bimba, I think the spirit of the underground is like my favourite release there because it appeals to non whisky drinkers. You you know mm. what I mean? You've got another hook, you've got another people to sell to. What happens if the reputation of Bimba drops massively? You know? You don't want to be sort of caught, and it's like those—they're just sort of single cast releases. And like, and in many ways, this comes down to the marketing hyperbole of lots of distilleries with modern releases. It's all about trying to find another way to make you consume. You know, like the concepts—how are they different from the folios, and how are they different from the editions? It's all no-age statement whiskey, varying degrees of fancy packaging and collaborations. You know, just whiskey at the end of the day. It doesn't need all of this, but it's what we're sort of being told to sort of hold on. You know hook into so and it's like the folio series that the, the genius with that is is that is a series designed it's celebrating the success of mccallan's marketing over the years and it's one of the most you know profitable historically profitable bottles of whiskey out there but it's i think there's a micro climate around that bottle i think we'll hopefully sort of see things correct themselves at some point with that because it's just well out of whack
1: yeah right yeah so we have one other bottle between us which isn't worth anything, but might be. Uh, but it definitely isn't. <laughs> to some people, this is a thing. It's very specific. This one, well, yeah, this one is specific. So I've got this bottle, and it's called Houston, We've Had a Problem. Single malt Scotch whiskey. It's thirteen year old, and it's an it's a fiftieth anniversary celebration of the Apollo thirteen mission. It's bottled by a company called thewhiskeybarrel.com, and it's from Highland Park, and. They've done it like this. Bottom number two, one hundred sixty nine of three hundred twenty two. They've since this one did well, so they've since done other Apollo releases with with other labels with images from space flight and stuff like that. This was gifted to me, um, but I believe they they sell for about sixty to hundred pounds. And there's a, now a, a little bit of a set about them. They don't last too long when they go on sale. Is that the kind of thing that may have value, or is that such a niche market
2: that probably not? <laughs> I think that's quite like, so there's two sides of this. Like, Yes, I think, broadly speaking, it might go up in value. You know, it's got a few extra hooks on it. You know, it's got that sort of space affiliation with it, but it's not necessarily a, a licensed affiliation, if that makes sense. It's just yeah. somebody using that to sort of sell whiskey. And while they're doing that, they're trying to sell whiskey. Capitalism, they probably couldn't sell it if it was just said Highland Park, come and drink it. You know, yeah. we come back. These people are making whiskey to sell and make money. How people deal with it is their own instance. But like, and, and, and this is where I think that, like, there's, there's sort of two sides potentially to investing in bottles, if that makes sense. And, and it comes back to any sort of side of collecting. And this comes back to the antique side of it. You've got accumulators and you've got investors. An accumulator, so with stamps, might buy packets of stamps and put them in an album. They might buy bottles of whiskey and hope they go up in value. But a collector will have a very narrow vision. They'll say they'll collect Victorian stamps or, you know, they will collect stamps from British colonies from 1850 to 1950. And a whiskey investor, technically speaking, will have a strategy. They're going to collect an 18 year old and a 25 year old vertical and stuff like that. So there is a chance that that whiskey will go up in value at the moment, pretty much anything that's released goes up in value. But again, you look at the fundamentals behind it and like what's driving it and you think money hmm, to calm down a bit, but you know, We've got to look at this in time. Give that 10, 20 years, 25 years, it probably will be quite sought after, but we don't know how much, really. It depends on how much that bottle goes on to make the names themselves. What
0: yeah, you so need to do, Dave, you need to drinking. find out who else no, has <laughs> that
1: bottle, make friends
0: with them, and then drink theirs.
1: That'll make your one you know, rarer. Yeah, I might might set up a Facebook group for yeah, uh, yeah, for uh, people the, who own who own space bottles of whiskey. <laughs> Appreciate someone, and then just slowly, <laughs> mate, slowly worm your
0: way in and, and drink their bottles of whiskey.
2: But the Ardbeck's, uh Which one was it? Now it's been a long day. I've been up since four, so it's quite late now. Uh, the 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 Ardbeck, There was a committee release, wasn't there? Was it the supernova, or the Galileo that went up to space and it contained a a massive small Yeah, a of yeah, yeah. It, it, you know it's cool. You know I like that.
1: Me too. That is cool. Me yeah. too. <laughs> no surprise there. Right, so Nick, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna drink that bottle next time. You're uh, tr- yeah, Abbey Road, yeah. I think, well drink of- it with some space people. What, well, I don't have any space friends locally
0: who <laughs> oh, live in America. That's all the
1: line. Well yeah. oh dear. Yeah. I don't know if any of them drink whiskey anyway, so I'd rather drink yeah. it with whiskey people. Okay. Anyway, anyway, we digress. I've got one last question.
0: I have one last yeah. question for you. Um Whatever it is, you don't have to tell us or how much it costs. But whatever your personal most expensive whiskey is in your collection, what occasion would make you open it?
2: I I don't think... It's a tough one because I don't really enjoy expensive whiskey in a way. I like drinking whiskey. So, like, some of the best whiskies that I've had, you were talking about Blue Label, have been blends. I 19, I bought, so I had a company called Cheaper Buy the Dram at one point. We, we took bottles of whiskey, broke it down into drams and sold it. It did all right, but not, not fantastically. We had a white horse in there from 1958. Oh, absolutely stunning. You know what I mean? Like, one of the most expensive bottles that I own, you know, probably a black Bowmore. Oh, what would make me open it?
1: The market crashing
2: it <laughs> would have to be like a severe fight yeah the market crashing or a big financial windfall because the reality of it is i can't afford to drink it you yeah, know what yeah. i mean like if you bought a folio one for 199 pounds can you afford to open it you know what i mean if it's worth eight grand the auction you know we we did that on a on, on youtube again we opened the edition six and i think we bought it for like 80 quid and I think now they're like a couple of hundred pounds at auction. Like that Bimba, you know, we 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 opened that. That was a 125 quid bottle to open. That was like, ah, you know, it's an expensive bottle of whiskey. And like you see it making seven, eight hundred pounds at auction. And it's like, what? But it's, it's it, you know, it's fine joining it, isn't it? And it's, yeah. But a very good question. Very good question.
1: Well, Mark, this has been really, really entertaining and interesting. And I've learned stuff and I've been thinking about how I wish I had some money. Um, yeah. So, yes. Thank you very much for joining us. We hope to speak to you again sometime. I'm sure we will. Uh, but th- yeah, th- just thank you. This has been absolutely wonderful.
2: No, yeah, it's great for having me on. And it's like, it's it's nice to talk about the other sides of whiskey with people as well, because it's like, it's there is so much in the industry, like those Glenfiddich trainers. Like, we've not really unpacked that a lot, but come on, like Glenfiddich are collabing with trainers now. You know what I mean? It's Yeah. I didn't know that. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Oh. They did a team up with a... an an artist in Australia who makes custom uh, trainers I think he used Air Jordans for this instance so you've got an official Nike it wasn't in collaboration with Nike but you've got an official Fiddick pair of Jordans out there on the market now and it's like you know what's going on seriously like this is a fascinating world there's more to to it than just drinking it like let's look at the madness of it the insanity and look at it for what it is
1: absolutely fun it's fun it is fun as you said Nick it is fun it's all about the fun thanks Mark thank you super Well, that was pretty special, wasn't it, Nick? It was indeed. Lovely guy. Absolutely. 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 I hope we get him on again, maybe, because there's so much we could do about collecting whiskey, isn't there? So much. You can watch the full uncut video of that chat with Mark on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash whiskey and things.
0: Yeah, or you can find out more about Mark Littler over on marklittler.com. I've got a bunch of other links I'll be putting in the show notes as well. YouTube channel and all kinds of bits and pieces.
1: Yeah, and the show notes, best place to find them is probably, if they, if they don't come up properly on your uh, podcast app, just head over to our website, which is whiskyandthings.com. Anyway, Nick, I think uh, I think it's probably time to wrap up, isn't it? it has been, been loads today, loads. There has been loads. It's been a really interesting one. Um, I enjoyed
0: reading that guide um, on the ferry. I went to Belfast, and, you know, it was a good little ferry read. And uh, I learned loads, even though I'm probably not going to get into whiskey and investment. <laughs> I don't even really have the capital to be honest, but it was it was really interesting. But yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm good for this episode, Dave.
1: I'm satiated. Maybe we could flip that bimber bottle and then use the use the profits to start investing <laughs> in another bimber but bottle. Maybe we, could. <laughs> if we can. Get one. Yeah, in maybe the next or, one of four bimber bottles, <laughs> flip them. You know, oh god, see how you can see how why people get around and start doing that kind of thing, can't you? Anyway. Yeah. It's go. got your number on Nate, so you can't you know, people know what your bot number is. Yeah. You get in trouble. You would get in trouble with Bimba. I'd be banned for a year. They you do would? that now. If you flip it within a year. No, but not banned for a year, just banned.
0: Yeah, if you flip your bottle within a year, they anyway. won't let you do the ballots anymore. Anyway, we're going on. I was meant yeah. to finish the episode five minutes ago.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> the angels have had their shit. And
0: you've had yours, whoever you are. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for, for coming. coming. <laughs> Whiskey and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.